Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. And here we are, Chris, another episode. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel like I need this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sharper today. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? And here we are Friday, just before the long weekend. And uh, we're tackling uh, the second part of figure that sales leadership out. And this is a higher level look at developing leadership uh, in the sales context, whether you're a CRO, SVP, VP manager, or even an aspiring uh, leader as an individual contributor today. And uh, I know you're going to walk us through something near and dear to your heart. Number two in the pro in the, uh, in the process, take it away, man. Yeah, man. So glad to be here. And I, I love it because, you know, when you, when you dish it out to others and you eat your own cooking, right. it makes you better. It makes you Walking better. Talk. Yep. Walk <laughs> so, you know, everything we're talking about here, just like you said, it's structured for the leader of leaders or the aspiring leader of leaders. So this is a little bit more advanced. Um, and the way to introduce this the best, I think, is just that, you know, Leadership 101, you're really bringing energy to solve problems, right? That's, that's what you're doing. You're trying to advance something. You see where it could be better. And, and you're learning to bring people along with you in that. And as you advance in your leadership, you're empowering and developing and delegating and all that's beautiful. Uh, but the reason why we got to dive into this in a deep way today is because if we don't, we fail to develop something that is key to being a leader of leaders. And then we're like that person at the gym that has the buff top half and, hey, aren't they ever doing leg day? Mm -hmm. um, and so so we could apply this with just one term. It's It really comes down to our thinking. So last session, we talked about what it looks like as you stop tolerating or avoiding. And just by the nature of not tolerating or avoiding, you're accepting a problem and you're willing to step into it. And we're going to give an analogy to this, but as we get into this analogy, um, I want to let you speak to this piece for just a second here. As we get in to solve a problem, uh, we want to watch for one key thing we do. And, and most people make a mistake here. Now, before we get into it, let's just imagine for a minute, sling it out for us. What are some problems leaders of leaders in sales could face? Oh, um, okay. And we well, don't have to be exhaustive, but just. Yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, it's important to create some context. So I personally believe that the most important thing a sales leader can do for the organization they work for is to create a predictable path to revenue week after week, month after month, quarter after quarter. And so if you think of think in that context and then think of having multiple teams with multiple leaders of those teams, multiple personalities, multiple experiences, skill sets, backgrounds, uh, and just 
work habits, identity fears, all that stuff. Uh, how do you how do you uh, bring some more robust systems and mechanisms to and lanes and create those lanes for those people to operate in at their best? And so, you know, imagine now the challenges of even if you can build the system, imagine the challenges of those individuals bumping up against the restrictions that are presented by those systems, right? That they have to learn to work within. So you can have um, you can have um, faulty recruiting processes. You can have great processes that aren't executed because people don't pay attention or because they think that um, they're unimportant. You have uh, managers making rash decisions about who they re- recruit. You have managers skipping performance reviews, uh, which are creating now shadows in the process where people can hide. You have accountability frameworks that aren't followed. Um, and all of this creates doubt and uh, questions and uh, in the context of delivering on your number. And it creates an organization that's now more reliant upon good luck and hope versus becoming really, really good at taking control of the situation as best they can and, and delivering uh, a consistent high level of performance. Mm, thank you. That's awesome. So no doubt what Jimmy's laid out there, that's captured some of you or all of you in some way, I should say. Everyone knows that. Like we've all got problems to solve. That's the nature of leadership. You're never going to reach a place where you get beyond solving problems. Now, here's the mistake people make. Take any of those that that you just laid out there, Jimmy, and you just imagine almost like walking up to a riverbank and noticing some kind of problem is occurring. You know, your settlement that exists around this riverbank and there's some kind of problem that's right there in front of you that's happening. Um, What most people do that is great in starting out on their leadership is they apply energy to solve the problem. What's terrible is over time in becoming a leader of leaders, you want to develop the ability to go upstream as much as possible to get to, and there's a lot of different ways they talk about this in business planning and first order principles and whatever way you want to describe it, to get to what is the main issue. You know, we talk about this in terms of numbers and measurements, leading indicators versus lagging indicators. Again, we're, we're you really could take a bunch of frameworks out there, a bunch of descriptions, a bunch of mental models, and they all could fit under this umbrella of going upstream to see what's really happening. So we want to talk about how you do that, how you get to your best abilities. And if you're a leader of leaders or aspiring to be a leader of leaders, you've got to pause that reaction that causes you to want to immediately kick into solving that problem and let this experience, because that's what we want to think about it as, this training experience surface something better in you. So I'm curious as we dive into this, uh, in your experience working with and not only uh, working with organizations and sales leaders, but also you yourself being a sales leader uh, for years What's a story that comes to mind where you saw somebody solve a problem, but miss solving the bigger issue? Anything come to mind? <laughs> I have, I, I have tons. tons. Well, I've, and I spent a lot of time in the uh, in the venture back uh, startup, scale up, growth world, uh, 
And I tell this story all the time. Uh, when I was a uh, rep, I was just um, maniacally focused on my job. I was the, the one that traveled the most. I had the most phone calls. I had the biggest pipeline. I, uh, you know, in my, my uh, goal was always to be into my accelerators within the first year of being on the job. So I never took time off and it was, it, it obviously wasn't uh, sustainable, but what was interesting is that people that didn't understand me, like one CEO I'm thinking about complained because it was, I was always on the phone, right? I'd come into meetings on the phone. I'd leave meetings on the phone and uh, he would complain, Rory is why are you always on the phone? Now, you know, what that did, the problem that created was it um, exasperated and identified his misunderstanding of salespeople, right? And it, it he later lost his job. And I think the reason was because he could not relate to us. I and mean, he was managing the team. We had a manager, a team leader, but he was managing the team and uh, just couldn't get out of his own way. And so, um, you know, the, his decision to kind of view me through his eyes and the eyes that the traditional eyes that he had of a salesperson, you know, caused him to just not relate, not to kind of understand what was driving me. And instead he got frustrated because I wasn't giving him the attention that he demanded or, or thought he deserved as the leader of our team. In fact, I was giving him the attention that I thought he deserved, which was zero because he knew nothing about running a team. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so my kind of like disrespect for him only grew because of the disrespect he showed me and how he chose to kind of reprimand or communicate to, to me his, his um, displeasure. And in fact, the way that he communicated me to me also let the rest of the team know that he knew he just even had less of a clue of what was going on. Mm-hmm. So his response created a problem for our relationship, but it also, it also kind of kept him stuck in his um, little cocoon of not really being able to um, advance in his ability to lead a team. Okay, so how would you now coach a CEO to approach that issue with you? Like if if, if right. your CEO is telling you about, I got this guy, he's coming in on the phone, he's leaving on the phone, it bothers me. Walk, walk us through that. Right. Well, and here's an interesting thing. A lot of the CEOs that I meet that, that don't come from a sales background actually um, don't like conflict. So... Because their 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 minds are so focused on the customer and the product and creating that product market fit, they can view a lot of the other departments that support the organization as necessary evils, if you will. And they're only necessary evils because they may not really have a full understanding of how they all operate. And oftentimes developing a sales organization, a professional sales organization is the last thing, even though organizations need revenue to, to go, it's the last that last place in an organization that becomes professionalized typically. Um, and so, and that's oftentimes because of this lack of desire to face conflict. And so this, this CEO that I talked about, his, he just like dove in to create the conflict, but it was un, an unwise approach. Most would avoid it. Most CEOs that I would coach would just complain about this dude on the phone all the time. Um, and if they did bring it up in a one-on-one meeting, um, they'd feel bad about it. And end up giving me a raise or something afterwards, right? It's like, it's like I feel so bad about creating conflict. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I think. I'm gonna say, yeah, no problem. And then he's gonna make himself feel better for bringing up this issue by doing something nice for me or magnanimous for me. And I see this happen 
over and over and over again. Um, so the e easiest, I guess the easiest thing for me to do would be just to say, look, you understand your perspective. Do you understand his perspective? I would just say, the first thing I would say to the, to the, to the leader is put yourself in their shoes. What expectations did you set for them? What did they sign up for? How difficult is it going to be for them to meet their expectations? What do they have to do to hit those expectations? Um, how are you helping them and supporting them in achieving those expectations? Is it possible that he's maybe overreacting in a way, uh, in your view, uh, based on the, the expectations he's, he's faced with, the commitments he's made, and the, the lack of support he has, and the other things that are challenging him? And does that mean that he's not only on the phone all the time, but maybe it means he's possibly not at home that much. Maybe he's on the road four days a week, sees his wife and family three days a week. You know, what else could that mean? What else is possible? And with this not understanding, because you haven't talked to him yet, but with this kind of bigger picture view of what's possible, would that change your reaction to him? Would that change your response to him? Especially given the fact that, this is not an issue. This is not an uh, an isolated issue that you're going to face once. The way you solve this issue could have ramifications for the next six months, year, six years. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and I come at it from the angle of you know being in my mid twenties, uh, leading teams well beyond my capacity at that age that I should have been leading. Uh, and I would be uptight, like if they uh, would have been on their phone, so to speak, or whatever, all those things. And yeah, a, a lack of sensitivity to their world and what was happening. And I appreciate a, a standard for what it means to have everyone present and model good behavior and be engaged in the meeting. But I also think about it too, like it's on me to lead meetings in such a way that it's like, oh, this is so awesome. This is where I want to be. You know, meetings done right, like Patrick Lanziani talks about, are better than movies. Uh, and who cares what they're doing when they're walking in and out? You know, now if you're a sales leader of leaders, you're you're not just closing deals; you're nurturing connection with the team while you walk in and and doing all these actions that matter so much. But totally, it's the onus was on the CEO to upgrade their elevated thinking and appreciate it. So here's what you're doing: you're going up stream. When you go upstream, what happens is you think new thoughts, you get new perspectives, you see things you haven't seen. So my daughter and I are watching this apocalyptic show, right? And they have this village and they're living and trying to survive. And the bad guys, Jimmy, are putting poison in the water supply downstream. And now the people in the village are getting sick and they're trying to figure out why they're sick. Why are they sick? What's going on? Everything they're doing to solve the sickness isn't working because they're not going upstream and seeing what's poisoning the water supply. Now, in one of these later lessons, we're going to give you some of the most important things that you can go upstream and look for. Okay. For now, what we want to do is introduce a processing just, and you can think about it in terms of three words processing that helps you not falsely get into solving this and miss the leading indicator, if you will. So here they are. Number one, 
is mindset. Mindset. When you feel yourself frustrated in a situation, irritated, I was telling you one right before we started this chat. Mm -hmm. It is on you, the person, if you're frustrated at a circumstance, an event, a process, a system, all the things Jimmy laid out that are problems we can experience, it's on you first and foremost to own the responsibility. This isn't hype. This is real life. How does this train my mind better? Am I, am I, is there some kind of reality I don't want to accept here? Right. Is there something I'm raging against? Is there, you know, I I wish they would just get it. Well, a higher mindset would say, how can I cast the vision better? Why can't they? Well, how can I accept responsibility to do this better? So the mindset flip that happens when we really know that it's on us to grow and improve, that we're our own worst enemies. And when we know internally, we have everything we need within us, which is a very deep idea that we could spend a ton of time on. It elevates our mindset to be at its absolute best. Um, Where in your leadership have you found a circumstance really developed your mindset? Sharpened it, challenged it. Yeah. I mean, well, I, you know, I was doing it wrong for 15 years. And uh, when I say my approach to sales, while monetarily successful and being part of several exits and so forth, it wasn't personally successful because I hit the wall um, and and then subsequently hired a coach and gained some perspective. But uh, what I learned was, you know, the principal job of a leader, um, you know, I think your I think your analogy upstream downstream is fantastic because we can as leaders look downstream. Like, mm-hmm. what is my team doing wrong? And I would I would um, notice that a lot of the clients that I would bring on in my business today, the CEOs or the leaders I'd work with would say, "I want you to fix them." Mm-hmm. They'd essentially say, "I want you to come in to fix them." And it wasn't until later in my career that I finally. Uh, you know, had the, the audacity, the strength Mm -hmm. to ask those same CEOs, may I, may I stop here and ask a tough question? And they, and they would always say yes. And I would say to them, how much of the problem is you? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and I could only do that as a coach because I was able to do that with myself. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, I'm frustrated with my kid, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, frustration now to me, for me, triggers self-reflection. Right. And yeah, the frustration I have with my kid is because they're not meeting my expectation. Well, what's what's wrong? Them or your expectation? Boom. And I can within seconds now reframe if I'm of if I have the right mindset, right? I can reframe and get there. Uh, so it's a really valuable valuable thing, but any level of frustration that a leader might have with a member of the team, you know, for me would trigger this kind of a, this kind of upstream perspective. It yeah. all starts with me. Like the, you know, my dad, we're, we're, our heritage is Greek and he would always uh, teach me great uh, Greek and Italian proverbs and this idea that the, that the fish rots from the head, right? It's like, I've never forgotten that. And it, and it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a parable. It's a, 
It's a story that puts the pressure on and the onus on the leader. Mm-hmm. I love it. And and so what's powerful about this is, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to grow, every time you feel frustrated, Jimmy used a great word. It's a trigger. Trigger can be positive. It's neutral. Doesn't always have to be negative. Trigger, it's a trigger to positive to go, okay, how am I not communicating? How can I get better here? And, and so when we blame the other, when we blame the system, when we blame the circumstance, when we blame the, you know, the company, the or vendor, just complain. We complain com- and we think we're doing ourselves a favor by venting. You're yeah. really not. You're just making it worse. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't about toxic positivity because like you can't just hype yourself into it. This is a sequential process of transformation. And the first thing that you're doing is the way you go upstream. It's it's about mindset. How can this situation train my mind to be even better? I mean, that's the thing about every day, every day we're deforming or we're becoming a better version of ourselves. And I don't always do it perfectly. There are times I complain. There are times I blame. But catching myself in it, it's like catching yourself in, in a sloppy form and workout. You, you go back into that state, that sharpness of form, and then you're engaging it. And so you're actually better for what you're doing. Jimmy, question for you. How many leaders over the years in, in organizations have you met, right? It'd be impossible to know the number that are actually worse for having been leaders, right? Especially yeah. leaders of leaders because they deal with problems and they deal with problems enough that leadership makes you better or worse. And especially leaders of leaders, all that you go through, the complexities, the nuances, switching channels, meeting people where they are, all of that, it's continual training. I love being around people, and I've been around some, who, did I ever tell you about the time I met Zig Ziglar? I may not have. No. It was really crazy. It was cool. Anyway, I love meeting people like in their, in their 60s and 70s that have worked at getting better every day. Of course, they've had weak moments. We all do. But they used everything to continually train their mindset. So that's how they went upstream. They said, okay, first it starts with me. How is this frustration going to grow my ability to show up better? How is this irritation going to develop me? Second word, did you guys have melted mindset? Well, I was going to say that, you know, speaking to the sales leaders out there, I, I can, I can just, you're bringing back a memory for me. The models that I had uh, that were teaching me how to be a sales leader early in my career, I can remember two things that I learned from them. One is I'd, I've heard, I heard them complain about how sell, you know, when as a sales leader, they're just a glorified babysitter or a glorified therapist. You know, I bring you in, put you on the couch, you know, let you work out your problems and you go back to work. I'd also heard a leader who, when he hired me, he actually hired me and then brought me to the next startup because he wanted me on the team. And, and I later learned out why it's, you know, he kicked off his um, onboarding with me by saying, look, your job, you have one job is to make me look good. And I'm like, that, that's cool. That sounds reasonable. And then he, he proceeded to have me do work and then took credit for every, everything that I did for him. Uh, I mean, and it was blatant and it was just, hey, man, this is your job. Make me look good. And so there was nothing in it for me, right, other than a paycheck and to be his, his servant. So I actually had those, took those two, two experiences as 
as my, um, as how I was going to manage and lead. And so when I, <laughs> I had the chance to lead a team, I, I would bitch and complain about having to put people on the couch and be their babysitter. And I made, that made me just hate the job. And then when I hired uh, a sales apps person, I said, look, you have one job, make me look good. <laughs> and it's like, I was, I was like just repeating the same crap because I had no training and then and had no perspective. And the fact that that made me feel like crap when it was done to me didn't even change because I had no other ideas, no other examples other than those in terms of how to approach the job that I had just taken. That's awesome. Such a relevant practical reminder of if you're not training your mindset, the sloppiness of it is going to wear off on others. It's going to have a downstream effect. Yeah. yeah. So mindset, next word, thinking, thinking. This is the sequential process. To go upstream is to think at a higher order than whatever you're thinking right now. You might be as far as you can, but why not challenge yourself just to make sure? How can I think about this systemically, holistically? How can I go upstream? How can I figure out what's happening to the water supply rather than trying to stop people from being sick, solve the problem where it's actually occurring? Now, did you say, what's the difference between mindset and thinking? You're training your mindset to operate at a continual baseline. Thinking is where we're applying this mental energy to solve a problem. And the, and the thing that you want to do here is go, I'm going upstream to think about this at the highest level that I can. You keep getting out of your own way by saying, okay, what does it mean to look at this next step up, next step up, next step up? Even for people that are aspiring leaders that are listening to this, that may feel like they're way down on the food chain, you can, unless the environment is so dysfunctionally political, which we know there are some, even if it's mild dysfunctional political, you can leapfrog promotions by learning to be the kind of person who goes upstream in their thinking because everyone else is reacting to what's right in front of them rather than seeing the overlying, you know, cause and issues that are playing into this. So, you know, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready to talk about it. You think about your child, for those of you that are parents, if your child is getting a grade that concerns you, you care about their academic performance. You're not a freak about it. They don't have to have straight A's. And if they do, good on you. But there's just some kind of grade there that concerns you. What does it mean for you to think at the highest order? So here's what's funny to me. And I think we could use this example. Women oftentimes have this intelligence as mothers. You know, I don't know about you, Jimmy, but raising kids, I'm like, what's her problem? She's so cranky today. And my wife will be like, yeah, I think she's getting sick. And like the next day, right? She's got cold symptoms. Mm. And I didn't even think about that. I'm dealing with what's right in front of me. And that's why it's so powerful when you develop this ability as a leader. Now, there's a lot of frameworks out there. There's a lot of uh, different models that you can use. And, and you find the ones that work for you. There's a quote that really inspires me. Carl Jung, you don't solve the problem in front of you. You get to the horizon beyond it and solve that. That's how you actually solve what's in front of you. It's another way of saying what we're talking about here. Now, yeah, that's going to create more problems to solve. But that's the idea. We're never done solving. We just want to leverage our time, effort, and energy to do what's most important. Um, so as we talk about this, what comes to mind for you in some ways where you've 
had a shift where you've gone, Ooh, I was working on this. And then I changed and I worked on this and I was working on a higher order problem or, Hey, I didn't realize it, but they were cranky because they were, they were really sick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the example you gave would be my first example as well. In fact, I have, uh, you know, I will be, have been married, um, 30 years, uh, shortly, uh, you know, in September. Right. So it's taken me a little while, but over that time with my bride, um, yeah, I have learned that when my kids are frustrating me, the first thing I do is go talk to my wife. (laughs) And and the first question is why is she behaving like that? So it's like, I I've learned to even just suspend. Yeah. I don't like this, but I suspend all judgment and all potential inquiry in my mind into why it might be happening. Cause I talk, I just have learned to go to her. Um, yeah. So I, it's a, it's, it's part of me that I have hit my limits in terms of developing, but it just, I think it just happens to relate to that, you know, strength of empathy that my bride uh, brings to the table. And um, in many ways, my lack of it, I probably have just enough to be good at what I do every day. um, But maybe not enough to be uh, to operate at her level for sure. Well, I can't imagine (laughs) this sounds like it's planned out. (laughs) I can't imagine. It really wasn't you teeing up better where we're headed for this third action. And that is you've got to get other voices around you. So, you know, these first two are about you, but this third one is about who on your team has the emotional intelligence and awareness that can help you, right? Have exactly what you have with your wife. Who are you getting coaching from? You know, I know you and I experienced this probably a lot. People come to coaching chats to solve a problem. And it's like, no, 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 you do not want to solve that. Go here, solve this, because that's downstream of what you're working on. Um, who Who is around you? And And the thing about it is, you know, I know it's tough to admit vulnerability, tough to ask for help sometimes, tough to admit need. But when we want to grow and be all we can, we're doing it. Listening to podcasts like this yeah. is a way of getting those voices, reading books, uh, working with a coach, working with us, whatever that looks like. So for me, I know that I can think of countless times where I came to a place at the riverbank and a trusted mentor, a random book I found, and everything in between took my head, turned it upstream and was like, look over there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would have skipped over that. So wherever you find yourself, applying what we're talking about here means you're going to pay attention to your mindset. You're going to challenge your thinking and you're going to seek other voices as you keep being the kind of leader who goes upstream. We can't make it more complicated than that, can we, Jimmy? No. And I, I just, uh, that last point, though, I mean, imagine having those types of folks that uh, you can, having those folks you can build around you at work, you know, that you can have the trust and uh, recognize the um, unique skill sets of those folks, develop those relationships at work. So many folks in leadership positions feel isolated, right? Mm-hmm. Like. There's nobody else I can talk to about this stuff because whether it's their own desire to 
keep an air of superiority or dominance or whatever it is, or just the fact that they didn't hire folks that can actually answer the tough questions or help them answer the tough questions. So, you know, achieving that would be, um, I think would be a, a whole other podcast in and of itself, just in terms of helping folks think about how do you make that happen on a consistent basis? But man, I, I mean, there's just nothing better than having a team that you can count on to make, to operate at that level. That'd be fantastic. If I had had that earlier, been taught that 30 years ago, things might've been a lot different. Yeah. Every quality dream needs a quality team. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's everything. I know when I have a problem, if I have a problem about anything related to where you show up with wisdom and strength, I'm coming straight to you. And I know you're going to help me see what I'm not seeing. You know, same thing with our other team members. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's to me, it's what makes the experience of leadership so fun, rich and rewarding. When in safe, vulnerable, trusted relationships, those voices around me are shaping and continually helping me get upstream. That's where the most fun happens. So yes, we need to do an episode on that. Well, thanks for uh, adding color commentary real life application and story to those that want to be leaders of leaders in sales. We hope we've challenged and encouraged you wherever you find yourself. Elevate that mindset, challenge your thinking and make space for those voices and get better and better and better. Peace out, my friend. Thanks for the coaching. Until next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.